Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, episode 49 of the Asking Why podcast. We got Ross Githens back with us. I'm glad to have you today, Ross. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man, always a pleasure. Um, for those of you listening, today we're going to be talking about um, raising kids with unique needs. It's kind of how I titled it. Um, I was talking to another therapist in the hallway, and I was thinking, you know, there's such a, a wide range of ways to talk about special needs. And a lot of times I think some parents can be offended by that. Um, because all kids have needs, you know? So it's like, are some of them more special than others or some of them special? And I think people can, you know, uh, get offended either way. Um, so I'm going to try to be sensitive about that as we talk about it. And maybe you can, you know, give some insight to that today, Ross. But I think my purpose is to today with the podcast, validate and support parents that have kids with unique needs that are, that are different than what you would say the normal kid is. And I, I, I think the problem that I have with it is, as being a clinician is that I don't really see any normal kids, hmm. you know, that everybody's got something they're dealing with or some stressor. However, if you're a parent who has a uniquely, uh, difficult kid to raise with a unique issue that can also invalidate you. Cause it's like, well, your kid, you know, doesn't have this thing that we have to do every day and we have to deal with every day and we have to have anxiety around. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm just trying to find, I want to find that balance and have that conversation. That's great. That makes sense. I love it. Yeah. Cause I think parents in my situation, there's just not a lot of material or, you know, of course the spectrum of severely handicapped kids that look handicapped. Our situation is different cause Jack doesn't look handicapped. Right. So well, talk about like who you are, what you do, and kind of, I know you've been on here before, but for people who maybe didn't listen to the last one. Yeah, man. I, uh, my name is Ross Githens. I was born and raised here in Shreveport. Uh, I'm an, an addict, so I actually found counseling in uh, a boarding high school I went to in Phoenix when I got sober in 95. Um, and then I met a counselor there and was like, this is a dream job. Uh, somewhere I could wear jeans every day and laugh and love people, pray with them. Um, and so, yeah, so then I came back to Shreveport, finished high school, uh, went to Louisiana College in uh, Alexandria, got my degree in psychology, uh, fell in love with my best friend's sister, great story, uh, but I liked her so much I needed to marry her, so I had to get a job, worked at the phone company, right? <laughs> so uh, then we actually decided to move to Fort Worth, and I went to seminary and got my master's in counseling, uh, and Jennifer put me through grad school, which is how you know a woman loves you when she's like, hey, quit your job. Like, I, I support you and I want your dreams to come true. Um, but we actually, the, the joke was we went to Texas to get one degree. We ended up with two degrees and a baby. <laughs> but we did it on purpose, yeah. you know. She was ready. 
So she sat me down. Gosh, that was probably my second year of grad school. And she was like, hey, I think I'm ready. And I'm a nervous wreck because uh, being a, a, ch- a kid of uh, sexual abuse kind of threw me like, okay, oh, I don't know if that's stressful. I don't know if I want to protect someone, mm-hmm. you know? I do, uh, I do know. Yeah. Yeah. In the same and, boat, yeah. And so, you know. And so we just kind of talked about it. And of course, we didn't have health insurance back then. And, you know, we're kind of nervous. Can we afford this? And they're like, well, you never can afford kids. And, you know, but I love my wife. And I always knew kids was something we wanted. The timing was just, okay, are we ready? Can we do this? And so we started praying. And uh, she got health insurance through her college. And my wife's a great planner, great, a great partner in that she's usually has the answer you know, or God provides the answer, I should say. And so, uh, did you think about at that time, like having any kind of issues or were you worried about, I'll be honest with you, it never crossed my mind. Right. I definitely had compassion for special needs parents, but you know, I guess you just hope that everything is, I think I was more worried about miscarriage or mm-hmm. down syndrome or these big ones that, cause, uh, you know, we just had to have kids and, Gosh, we were pregnant in four weeks, so it was it was shocking. I think she came and took me to lunch, and she was like, "Let's talk about kids." And I'm like, "Oh, I had a terrible day." I'm like, "I do not want to talk about having kids," <laughs> like, because I knew we'd already started trying and things had changed. But I was like, "I I, I can't handle the stress of." And she's like, "Well, I'm pregnant." She's <laughs> like, "Oh, like there's that like pivot like yeah. in the day like because you were how old." 26. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause Jack was born in 2006. So we got pregnant in 05. So I was 27. Yep. So, but just of course, glee, excitement, nervousness, anxiety. And of course, then we spend the next six, seven, eight months, you know, doing ultrasounds. And what I always say is I was prepared to love Jennifer. I'd read, so- listened to songs. I'd read books. I-, I fully expected to fall in love with a beautiful woman. Having kids, I was not ready for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we uh, went in for, uh, Jack was born March 10th of 06 and uh, delivered a healthy boy. And it was great. And Jim was a great mom. And she was very patient with me in those first days and months of putting the diaper on backwards. I evidently did that multiple times. <laughs> and which she loved, you yeah, know. Yeah. And we had 17 creams. And I'm like, what are all these things on the changing table? And just like, and I think that's probably the vulnerability of a man is I like had to agree to, to, to like ask the dumb questions because I want to help. I don't want to be a spectator, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that first year was, I actually graduated uh, a month after Jack was born. So that's very odd to be unemployed with a newborn. And Jennifer was in her last year of teaching, uh, student teaching. Uh, she was in uh, UTA, University of Texas in Arlington. And, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was awesome to become a dad. And when you said that love, what did you, what, what did you mean? Well, like you didn't know you were going to love dad, something that said something to me years ago that, you know, when, when you have kids, it's the first time your heart ever leaves your body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it suddenly meant a lot when I held that little boy and the nurse is like, Hey, you probably need to take your shirt off cause he needs to feel warmth and I'm looking at Jennifer like, this is weird, you know, like, and she's like, just do it. Just do what she's saying, you know, because we didn't sleep much that first night because he was shocked, of course, to be out of the womb. And yeah. 
but it's just this moment like, okay, I've never been a dad. I don't know how to do this. I have expectations. I have goals, but there's that nervous, you know, okay, we got to start making decisions, right? Cause diapers and formula and there's all this shame on all sides. Oh my gosh. You know, but it was a, it was probably a wonderful first year for us. I mean, was it difficult? Oh my gosh. But Jack was an amazing baby. Gosh, his pain tolerance was out of sight, which should have been a clue. That, that is actually mm. probably one of the first indicators of his sensory delay is what, what he has. Yeah. Is his body doesn't <clears throat> hurt like our body hurts. And so he, he just didn't cry. So he slept through the night at four weeks, five weeks, hard sleeper. I mean, just like Jennifer, 10, 12 hours. So you're like, this is golden. I'm like, man, we're great parents. You know, like <laughs> we, we got the system and we did baby wise where, yeah. you know, you eat and feed on, on schedule. You're like, this works three hours. great. I mean, when you wake that kid and I put him in, in the crib wide awake, he put himself to bed, which is clockwork, you know? Mm -hmm. And Jennifer was real good about, you know, what our schedule is and how our feedings are working and how we'd adjust it based on how old he was and. But you know your baby. And so there'd be days where he'd start crying and we're like, okay, like we probably need to go to the pediatrician. Like mm -hmm. we went in and he had double ear infections. The pediatrician's like, wow, how'd y'all know? And it's like, I mean, you know your kid. Like, yeah, you get to. Like, yeah, we, we, he's a happy kid. He's a happy baby. And just, he's pulling at his ears. And, and I had had my adenoids and my tonsils out. So we're like, you know, he may be a candidate. And we mm. started having recurring ear, ear infections and, but, um, gosh, I remember those first years of him crawling and just, just, you know, just having a kid just that's, I mean, he's really all we had in Dallas and we, we had good friends, but no one was really close to us. And so it was just a great time for us to be a family and just be the three of us. Mm -hmm. And then we left Fort Worth in 07 and that's when we moved to Shreveport. Okay. And I worked uh, at another counseling center, um, and and then we got pregnant that summer. Did you start at Samaritan? Is that where you went straight to? Okay. Straight to. Yeah, I left uh, a methadone clinic in Fort Worth and started at Samaritan in 07. Okay. That's right. Yeah, because I got there in 11 so, or 12. Yeah. We always can't ever remember. 11 or 12. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yep. And so, yeah, so that, that was 06, 07. And then, yeah, so 07, I start with Samaritan. And then 08, we delivered a Cullen, our second kid who was still a good kid, but just different, you know, <laughs> not, he wasn't near the, the sleeper that Jack was, right. but I think we had already had our systems of, yeah. Made it a little bit more manageable. Yeah. But yeah, we still working yeah. on <clears throat> baby wise didn't work as seamlessly. I don't, I, I really think baby wise determines the kid. The kid determines baby wise. Yeah. It really Jack flourished in that structure right. and he still does. Right. Where Cullen's a lot like me. He, likes dotted lines and like, Hey, let's, you know, kind of, you know, go over here. And what do we feel like today? Right. But you know, I mean, a teacher and a therapist, right. We're going to have behavior modification as part of our parenting. So mm -hmm. we definitely put Cullen wide awake in his crib too. Cause I was adamant, you <laughs> yeah. know, no babies in the bedroom. Right. Yeah. Like I'll rock you, but all the things you say you'll never do. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, how about that periods of times, so, you know, like, because I think we did that with Jack. The bassinet was in the in our room probably a week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, like, uh, <laughs> can we talk about that bassinet? Can we just inch it down the hall? You know, he has a room. It's really cute, you know. Mm -hmm. But 
but yeah, like in hindsight, I think everything was normal when we had a three-year-old and a one-year-old, or I should say a two-year-old and an infant, uh, you know, because we were kind of tracking those first steps, first babble, and we recorded a lot. We had a little website back then, which was fun. We had rawsandgin.com. <laughs> Because it was a great place you, for... You definitely would. Of course we would. And it was a great place for our Shreveport friends to see a weekly video that we shot of him taking his first steps or yeah, jumping no, in no his No social media at that point. It, it didn't exist. It, yeah. it was bare, I guess it was the infancy, yeah. It was like, uh, what was Facebook was just getting started there. I think 05, 06, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but good times, man. Just, But I think that's where uh, we kind of... Be looking at the three-year-old, four-year-old age was when we started. Said, "Oh no, like there's something." Yeah. Know? So what happened? What, what what was like the first indications? Where... He would point at things and grunt. And so, you know, at one two, I don't know where the math of that is, but they're supposed to start kind of starting language and association, and and there was none. He just was a happy baby, and he's very quiet. Mm-hmm. And he was that way in the womb. He he didn't kick. He wasn't a very active baby which terrified us. Right. But then you look at this kid at six months and he's just chilling, you know, just like, Hey, you know, just like, mm-hmm. I'm here to watch TV with y'all, you know? So it made a lot of sense later, but that, that was kind of the beginning of it with, with two. And I think we started services the year he turned three. Um, and he began speech therapy and, uh, occupational therapy. And we just kind of started hoping to get him back on track. Um, because that's where the word autism and all that stuff crept in around four or five, which he is not. Uh, Jack has really strong connections. He's very much a, a connection person that he has friends and he gets along with people, you know? Yeah. What was that like to try to figure that out? Well, you know, finding services. Definitely stressful. You know, Jennifer's really good at that kind of stuff and probably took the lead on a lot of that, but I just was trying to be supportive and how can we help and, and that's what speech therapy would say is, you know, listen, we need to kind of not reward the grunt, but make him say the word, mm-hmm. like kind of kind of help him and reward him for the language he's got to use. But he had an impediment. Uh, and he really still has an impediment. I don't know if I hear it because he's my kid. Yeah, you're so you know? used to it. But when I hear people impersonate him, I hear I, it's funny. I hear it, mm-hmm. you know, because his language is just different. And he's 15 now. Yeah. So did you have any difficulty from the medical community, like kind of, uh, getting you on the right track? Um, the medical community was really good for us. We used little works, which was great occupational. Uh, we did speech, uh, through Molly Webb, through LSU, Mm -hmm. outstanding people, good, good, wonderful people that really gave us resources and helped us kind of with homework on things to work on. And, um, I think we started taking him to Arkansas children's home once a year, Gosh, I'm going to guess around five or six, uh, just getting a yearly evaluation, a battery of doctors, pediatricians, therapists. What is his functioning? What, what, where is he at and where should he be? Mm-hmm. And that was a great day. That was a great yearly snapshot for us to say, uh, where is he? How, how are we doing? What have we improved in? What has he not improved in? And of course, we always ended it with, is he going to drive? Is he going to be able to hold a job? And yeah, what was that like? Kind of futurizing and trying to figure out how bad it was or yeah they they were very professional and that they would not answer a single question because <laughs> I meant for you like how what was that tension like it's for anxiety you? yeah it's definitely it's definitely changed me as a human I'll say that Jack has definitely changed me as a human because um expectations right uh just being a father and wanting to raise kids as, as we were raised 
but my parents had two normal functioning kids in, in academic aspects and language aspects and autism or connection. You know, we weren't uh, deficient academically or in any of those things. Did we have, you know, stuff? Sure. Do we have everyone, like you said in the beginning, everyone is raising a unique kid. I, I like that. Um, but I think it's just, you know, kind of accepting, okay, this is our life. Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. What was that? Speaking of family, like how was the support from family? Excellent. You know, cause I think both of our parents wanted to help. Uh, they had their own questions. They had their own diagnosis sometimes or fears or, mm-hmm. and so it's just, you kind of get defensive of a special needs kid cause you're, you want to hold him accountable, you know? And that, that's hopefully been his whole life where we've said, Hey, he is in a normal world. He is not in a special world. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to help him, but I don't want to make exception for him because the world is cruel. Yeah. And so we've hopefully done our best to love him, support him, provide resources for him without saying, okay, well, you're, we're going to coddle you. We're going to, you know, go yell at the coach for not putting you in. No, no, this is, this is the way the systems work. Right. And so kind of learning how to, you know, yes, we want to identify the bully, um, and deal with that as we've had to deal and talk to him and say, Hey buddy, you know, can you talk me through that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, within the last year, uh, we had a kid that was, you know, definitely pointing him out and picking on him and threw him down and really hurt his feelings and scratched his body. And of course then, you know, mama bear and papa bear want to go to the school and handle it. Right. And so we tried to start academically and say, Hey, you know, counselor, security, all these disciplinary people, let's gather a team because Cato Parish has got their weaknesses, but they're excellent when it comes to bullying. They addressed it immediately. And the boy was talked to, and it hasn't happened since. That's good. Um, but how, how, how did you find that balance of, you know, I know what you're saying, like not enabling, not wanting to change the whole world. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's how me and Jennifer are wired is that I joke as a dad I lean more toward discipline and Jennifer probably leans more towards hugs and prayers and timeouts and which is, I I think that's, we've always kind of found that balance between I want to have some consequences. Like they don't know how to turn my lights off at night. So (laughs) I let them uh, pay $5 in my electric bill. And suddenly that, you know, irritated them. Mm -hmm. And I just said, Hey, you know, I have cameras. So if you leave my lights on, then you're going to help pay the electric bill. And, but I have to run that by my wife. So I'm not this mean dictator right? because we've warned you and warned you and warned you, which I would argue is my wife's approach. Let's talk, let's educate, let's be compassionate and grace filled, which I love until that doesn't work anymore. Right. And I'm like, Hey, you know, let's just, let's just ding $5. Let's see what that does. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 my lights are getting turned off. Got their so attention. It worked. Yeah, yeah. My, they they suddenly care about my electric bill. They they didn't care about it before. Can you talk a little bit about um, being a counselor and if that was beneficial or the pros and cons of that as you were kind of coming up? Like I guess you know Jim being a teacher, you being a counselor. I mean, the beautiful thing is it. I feel like it went a lot better because you guys had some unique skills and support and knowledge that went into it. Yeah, uh, uh, you know compared to a lot of parents who jump into these situations 
they've never sat with people with special needs kids. They they don't deal with children, and now they're in the middle of all this stuff. I think what helps us is that we we have family talks. That's just the way our family is going to work always. And I'm sure that's the therapist to me saying, the four of us need to sit and look at each other in the eyes, and we're going to work this out until this is over. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me why that's important? Well, I think that I wanted my kids to have a voice, to have creative input, to say, hey, I don't like this. Or as I t- teach my teenagers right now, I want, I want you to complain like an adult and not complain like a kid. Mm. Complain like an adult. Hey, man, uh, I really want to raise. How can I get that? What education can I get? Complain like a kid. Uh, you don't pay me enough. I quit. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, having a 13-year-old, 15-year-old, we've had these kid moments, and we've tried to sit down with them and say, um, it's interesting that you're trying to parent your brother because you're not his dad. <laughs> so I suggest you come talk to his dad yeah. since I own this house, and I'll take care of my son. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you shoved your brother, now you're in trouble and he's in trouble. So we try to have these roundtable discussions of like, Here's what you want, and here's what's possible. Yeah, that's good. To kind of fits fit those expectations, because, um, of course, they're normal kids, and they aspect that they want things, and they're selfish, and <laughs> we have conflict, and they yell at my wife, and I yell at them, and she gets mad at me, and that interesting triangle that happens sometimes. Uh-huh. But I've got to be respectful to them, because that, that's difficult for me sometimes. I, I'll be honest that I have a temper, and... I've got to be humble in my respect of them, but it, but I, I also got to be careful that I don't expect them to be gentlemen when they, they're not even adults yet. Right. Know? Yeah. It's such a hard balance. I mean, and that can start super early, you know, and getting in those really bad habits of expecting way too much out of kids whose brains are totally underdeveloped and can't yeah. do what you want them to do. I think as dads too, like, I think that's a, that's always a hot button is when they're treating your wife who you hold, you know, Mm -hmm. to this level poorly and wanting to show them how to treat her respectfully, but also hold respect for them. And I think a lot of parents, I see a lot of times where, you know, the parents want respect from their child, but they're not giving the respect. Yeah. They don't make the space to have a meeting. They don't include them in Mm -hmm. like, I know we've talked about this before, but including them on, on their consequences and on their chores and on, it's like, Hey, what do you, what do you feel like you can do? Or what do you feel like you deserve in this moment and setting these kind of standards? Yeah. But if we don't meet often and it doesn't become a culture in our house that like we value talking to you and having this, this time, then it's chaos. Yep. And I think Jennifer does a good job of like talking to the kids and then relaying the information to me so I can go talk to the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, my oldest uh, Jack did, he, uh, we had these blow up ornaments that were hanging in the trees in my front yard. Well, Jack decided to be, th- to be helpful and just take them down. Mm-hmm. And so I come home and he's like, hey, I took the ornaments off the front tree. And I was like, hey, you know, I would appreciate that you talk to us before you do things like that. And so, of course, that hurts his feelings. And so he goes to Jennifer and he's like, dad thinks I'm ignorant. Dad, Because Jack always has these words that he uses. Like one of his is like, you're stereotyping me, you know. He doesn't understand sometimes what the word means, but he'll grab a word and he'll use it for weeks. Yeah. Which is what he did when he was a toddler because he would like watch Mickey and then he would use what we called Christian cuss words back then (laughs) because he'd be walking down the hall going, uh, you know, fiddlesticks. I'm sick of this, you know? And he'd slam his door. I mean, dead serious. He's not joking. Right. But it's just so hard not to laugh in those moments. But but the the modern example is, is I was trying to teach him 
respect of like, hey, you had a good idea, but there's a way to carry out that idea because you need to go talk to the owner. Mm-hmm. Now, I think in his mind, he sees himself as an owner probably because it's his house too, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think that's where the relationship piece comes in as parents, whether special needs or not. It's just the rupture and repair dynamic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're going to have to call them out on something. You're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to give them structure and accountability and awareness. And that's sometimes going to hurt their feelings, even if you say it in the best possible way. Yep. But it's the repair part that's the most vital is coming back and going, well, this is what I meant. This is mm-hmm. what I intended. Yep. I'm sorry it hurt your feelings, but it's still true. It's still true. You still need to ask permission because yep. you're going to have to ask your boss permission. You're going to have to ask your spouse right. permission. You're going to have to you know, do these things if you want to have healthy relationships. And I think that's, I'm, I'm hoping that these three conversations can allow the rupture and the repair because of course I, you know, kind of correct him. He goes to Jen and says, Hey, dad thinks I'm stupid. Dad thinks I'm, you know, ignorant. Jen comes to me luckily with respect and kindness and like, Hey, this is what was said. I don't think you did anything wrong, but I, I think you need to follow up with him. Mm-hmm. So this lie doesn't continue. And then I'm able to go back to him and say, Hey buddy, let's talk about this. Right. And I try not to be a therapist in those moments, but just kind of be relatable. Yeah. What, tell me the difference. Well, I, I guess I, I never want to be preachy. I never want to be long winded. Yeah. Cause I think that's being a boy and raising boys. I want to be brief and have a lot of potency to my words, be mm-hmm. efficient. And so I just literally went in his room and was like, Hey buddy, this is what was said. I'm sorry. I feel misunderstood. I don't think this is true about you. And then I use the analogy, if I came and moved the furniture in your room, would you be okay with it? And he said, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a great example of that I should probably talk to the one whose room it is. Because this is, you have ownership of this room. You care about how your TV and your furniture is laid out in this room. And you would not be happy with me if I just decided that I think your room should be moved. Yeah. It would upset you. It's good. And I, I would like to believe that helped him to recover and say, okay, let me defend my father to myself. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he's not out to get me. Maybe he doesn't think I'm the worst child ever. Yeah. It's amazing how much you have to do that though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like how many of those conversations you just have to keep doing and keep doing and keep doing to keep that truth and that relationship going. Yeah. What, um, when did it get difficult if it did? Um, and did, did it affect, how did it affect the marriage or change that dynamic? Having a kid that was, I would say it got difficult probably around four or five because he started getting a little more active. He was never violent, but he would swing. He would be frustrated. He would shove, you know, and watching him hit Jennifer uh, a cute few times definitely throws me because it, my natural instinct is to want to physically grab him, get him off of her. And she, I think the woman, her, wants to cuddle him, protect him, be the, be the punching bag. Because mm-hmm. her comment would be, you know, I'd rather him punch me than punch anybody. Right. At five years old. I, it wasn't that he was blacking her eyes or... <laughs> yeah. But still, I'm watching someone hit her in the face, you mm-hmm. know? And that moves, I think, any dad, any husband... Because these two people I love are being mean to each other. Or excuse me, one person who I love is being mean to another person who's innocent. Right. Because 
I mean, I, what I was referring to is, I guess, watching my kids fight. I'm watching two kids who are being selfish or out of line. But I think that was the, those are those moments that no one can teach you. Because I think that's the hard part of the audience is that it's, because our family's done a good job and our friends have done a good job, but there's just these little comments like, you know, why do y'all feed him a burger every night? You know, there's that little judgmental, like you're spoiling him. Mm -hmm. And so me and Jennifer have kind of laughed and been like, yeah, that's, it's just not worth the fight. You know, if if we're going to pick battles, that's not a battle we're going to pick. If food's that big of a deal and it is for him, because he's got such a limited diet, let's just buy him the burger. Let's just, you know, so... And I think it's helped us just to have peace that we're doing the best we can and that our affirmation just needs to be enough sometimes. Yeah. And anything else is bonus. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find that balance. I think in our, in our situation, um, you know, Grady having sensory stuff and due to the food allergies, I mean, it's a mix of all of it. Um, he was much like Jack in the sense that I remember calling my mom and he was just like in the bouncy, like sitting here on the floor and I'm looking at him. He's just like not making any noise, not crying, but just looking at me. And I remember calling my mom be like, aren't babies supposed to like fall asleep eventually? Like, don't they like nap during the day? Cause everybody's like, yeah, they'll just sleep all day and you have to wake them up. And he just was not sleeping. I mean, he just up the whole time and it was because his stomach hurt, but he also has a high pain tolerance. And so he just never really cried about his stomach early on. Mm. And so I was just like, you would rock him and rock him and rock him and he wouldn't go to sleep. And eventually I would have to like tuck his head underneath and tuck his arms and rock him as hard as I could until he eventually would just pass out. And then I would just sit for two hours. I remember coming home from Samaritan or coming home from, you know, work and just putting headphones on and watching a movie just to hold him and let him. And, you know, my parents love him, but they'd be like, you just need to put him in the sleep and, you know, bed and let him cry. Mm-hmm. You know, or you just need to do these things. And I'm like, something's off. I knew something was wrong and it took months and months and years and years to figure out what it was. But, you know, it was that, that outside voice of you don't really have a, no kid is do this and it all works. Right. And if it is working, you think you're a great parent. And JC and I say all the time, like Grady was the most humbling thing ever. Cause I think as a counselor, as, as people who are pretty healthy, we would have thought we were amazing parents. Had we not had this thing, you know, this right. trouble. And now I'm like, Oh no, I had to figure it out like everybody else and deal with the difficulty and still make it work. But yeah. And, and same thing with Jack in our case, it was like, we would be just struggling with food or getting to eat stuff and people would be like, well, he looks great. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. He's not emaciated. So you can give us some empathy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's almost like, well, they look good on the outside. They don't you know, really look any different. So what's the problem? Yeah. It's those little comments and people meant well. I mean, it wasn't that they were just trying to be mean, but when you're in the midst of it, it's like, Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Cause I just, I, I wish people were more afraid to give advice than they are. <laughs> For sure. Because they're like, just whip him. I'm like, oh. That, or give, give me a weekend with him. I'm like. That's the worst t- comment. Take him. Yeah, yeah, I've heard take that. Take him. Yep. Because uh, uh, my, my parents took him to Colorado. And that was the first time they'd ever spent two weeks with him by, by, by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think day four, day five, mom called me and she was like, I think there really is something wrong with him. And I was like. <laughs> you think? I agree. Because. They had done their skills. They'd used what they had used on me and my brother, and it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, my dad says what a normal man would say: "I'm, I'm gonna pull this belt off," and you know. And then Jack 
is very literal. You cannot say things like, I'm going to kill you, or he's very language deficient, remember? So he calls us from Colorado, and he's telling me, you have to come get me, because Papa's planning to kill me. <laughs> and he is dead serious, you know? And then Mama Bear's like, let's go get a flight, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, take a breath, you know? I'm, I'm flying up there in two days, and... Because I had already planned to go up there and ski and hang out with Jack. And my brother was up there and we were going to have a great family. And we did. But it, it, it just, it was great for us. It felt validating for us as parents to have someone be alone with him that many days and say, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, no, you're going to pick all these battles and ruin your life for these three solid days until you realize, you know what? Maybe we should give him a burger. Right. Let's yeah. just do it the way the parents told us to do it. And it works. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Yeah, ours was the whole rocking thing. It was that was drove me crazy because other people would want to hold them and put them to sleep, and I'm like, y'all, we've already done the whole like days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks of him waking up every 20 minutes. Like we've done baby wise, we've done sleep training, we've called a sleep coach, we've done all these things. But you're gonna come into my house, not not see my kid, and you're gonna have the magic mm-hmm. to put him to sleep. And then, yeah, they're handing him back after he's been hysterical for whatever. And we're just not willing to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not going to let you try your magic. My kid's going to be hysterical. Now I got to deal with a tired, worn out, hysterical baby. And now I'm just mad at you. And I made my baby miserable for an hour knowing he ain't going to go to sleep. And so it was that kind of tension of grandparents wanting to hold him and be with him and play with him and throw him up and do the things thinking, this is what I do with my kids. Mm -hmm. This is totally normal. And us going, well, we know exactly the consequences for that. And y'all are going to leave and we're still going to get no sleep. Because I think the remedy for special needs children is discipline. Oh, yeah. That's right. how it's taught. Right. Well, you, you just, there's got to be the, something the parents are doing right. for him to behave like this in public. It's like Job and his friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are y'all not doing right. when he's acting this way? And yeah. it's like, we love this kid and, and we're not doing everything right, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think that's the heart of every special needs kid pa- parent is please just find a way to get behind me. Mm-hmm. Just take my word for it. When I tell you we've tried that, <laughs> yeah. I promise you, like you think we would be mean to ourselves, you yeah. know? Yeah. We're going to make this harder than it already is. <laughs> Cause I think the divorce rate for special needs parents is 95%. It's mm-hmm. the stat I read and I believe it. I, I don't think there's a single thing me and my wife have had conflict more than raising Jack. Because mm-hmm. daily, weekends, two o'clock in the morning, it's just those those that turmoil of who who wins. How how can we combine what we both want to do here? And and what is cruel, and what is justice? You know, right? And also like, uh, there's an ideal that I mean, even as a clinician, you know that you want to strive for as a parent with a kid. But when you go outside of the spectrum of what is quote unquote normal, those things don't work. Mm. Right. And so everybody else is looking at you as a stay in the spectrum and it'll just work out. And you're going, it's just not going to work. And that's such a hard, that's been such a hard balance for us is I want to do the normal thing, of course, but I know the long-term consequences of that for our unique situation. I think it's cruel to teach a special needs child normal. Right. Uh, my analogy is it would be like going to an elementary school, walking up to a kid in a wheelchair and saying, you're lazy, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's why you sit in this wheelchair because you don't want to go run and play with your other kids. 
And the mother of that child would, would knock you out mm-hmm. and say, how dare you? Don't you understand the limitations this child has? Right. And I think that's what's unfortunate for non-physical special needs is that the parent has to become the resource of what this kid can and cannot do. Yeah. And that's where we've had IEPs and individual education plans for Jack since he was three because we're constantly having these conversations. Yeah, the advocacy, I think, is what's so oh. draining. And we went toe-to-toe because when he went into three-year-old sped, he went into a room with an autistic kid. And so modeling, uh, mirroring, right, he's repeating some of the behaviors he's learning from this kid. Mm-hmm. And so when kindergarten became available, the SPED teacher fought us to allow him to go into a kindergarten teacher, a kindergarten classroom inclusion. Mm-hmm. So we had to have the principal, the IEP director from this parish, me and Jen against this teacher. Right. To advocate for my son to say, I want him to be the, the least functioning in the room, not the most functioning. <laughs> And he, and so he went to normal, he, he's been in inclusion ever since. Now, as he pulled for services and he gets special time or special you know, reading and extra help, yes. But I think it's been a great choice for us because here we are, he's a sophomore in high school and he's still, you know, we're still having difficulty. I mean, Jennifer had a panic attack last week of kind of saying, hey, the teacher's emailing me and he's not doing his work. Mm-hmm. And of course... Classic Ross, is he being lazy? Like, and she's like, I don't think he understands. Yeah. I don't think he honestly understands. And so is it cruel to make him finish high school? I don't know. I, I don't know if we can make up our mind today. Yeah. The other, the, what that brings up to me too, I was thinking about uh, our church, like Wednesday night services and things like that and events that I'm at. Um, and what's, what's opened my mind with Grady is, School, for example, you know, he went to St. Paul's um, and the first two years of that, every event was food oriented. And like he's got, you know, his thing is he has really rare food allergies. He can only eat, you know, a very few amount of things. And then if if he is eating it, it has to be what we cooked because the ingredients and all the garbage that's out there is he gets triggered by. And so it's like everything we went to it's like donuts. It's, it's this, it's, it's all the games are oriented around food. And, and it's because for so long, most parents don't have to deal with it. Right. And so I've become, I'm sure like you, very sensitive in, in places of like noise or, you know, I'm like, well, what are the sensory kids feeling about this? Or what are the food allergy kids feeling about this? Or because I think what we've seen shift, especially in the last 10 or 15 years, and you can attest to this as a clinician is, and that's what I led with is there aren't that many normal kids. The food allergy rate is out of the roof now or 10 or 15 years ago. It was like a few kids in a class and now it's tons of kids, mm-hmm. you know, 10 or 15 years ago, 20 years ago, a kid with let's say sensory issues, right. was just a kid who wasn't listening, who was just, you know, overwhelmed, who was emotional. A kid with impulse control issues was just a bad kid who needed a spanking. Mm-hmm. But now we're looking and we're going, oh, man, things we're eating, the trauma that we've been get, putting on them as a culture, the, the divorce rate that they've been going through, and all that is increasingly causing problems in birth and development. And so when I go to places, I'm typically thinking, what's it like for the kids who aren't, quote, quote, quote normal? And I'm like, that's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've adapted as a culture right? I don't want to – I'm not saying we should just change the whole thing like we were talking about, like you – 
okay, so my point is there's two things. One, as you parent, you want to parent your kid in a way that like, hey, like Grady, you're going to not be able to eat these things. I'm not, I'm not going to expect the whole world to change the menu for you. At the same time, because it's, there's so many more kids, there is some adjustment that needs to be made. Absolutely. So what, what's your tension on that? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I love it. Because to me, I mean, Jack will be 16 in March, and he fully expected he would get his license the day he turned 16. <laughs> right. And so we have, uh, Jennifer belongs to a SPED group uh, through Facebook, and so she went on there and was like, hey, you know, this is coming up. What have y'all done? And it was brought up first class driving, which is a driving school in Bossier, which actually has a special needs program. Oh, wow. And they'll take them from zero knowledge to getting their license. That's awesome. And me and Jennifer are stoked. Yeah. Because executive functioning, right? You have to make judgment calls in a vehicle that can kill people. Mm-hmm. And so there's a part of him that wants to drive, wants that freedom. Because he has a fascination with trains. And when I mean a fascination, there is nothing that boy loves more than trains. That's cool. Because Jennifer, I mean, they, they went out last night. They, they will go chase trains for an hour. And they'll go from I-20 to, I mean, past Stonewall. What's he like about him? Like, what's his primary? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's the size. I think it's the control. I yeah. think it's the power. I think it's... I mean, I remember being a little kid wanting to drive 18-wheelers. I mean, right. I'll admit that there's probably an ego thing into being able to be that powerful and that mm-hmm. big and to control something that's that strong. Yeah, the train's intense. But, but going back to the license, I want to help him, give him resources. I want to pay whatever it takes. If he's able to drive, I want that boy to drive. Mm-hmm. I'll buy him a car. Right. Because I don't want to ever hold him back. But I do pleasure in the idea that I'm not the reason... He, if he doesn't pass, I would like to know, okay, what's he missing? Let's take that resource home and let's see if it's achievable. Yeah. Cause if it, if, is it, uh, the laws, is it the, the measurements? Is it the, cause he, he's a hard worker. So I think when he wants something, I think he can strive for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that that's something it may take us a year. I, I didn't know this, but a learning permit actually lasts five years. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? So that gives us from 16 to 21 to get him a full license yeah. for life. I think it's, I mean, I mean, this is popping my head, but it's like, I think it's such a great lesson too for kids because we're so impulsive in general in America. You know, it's like, well, 16 is the number. And so therefore, if I don't get it, then, then I'm missing out, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm not a huge fan of driving now. <laughs> so I'm like, if Jason wants to drive, I'm like, more power to <laughs> you. You know, if we're, you know, most of the time I drive because I feel responsible if we're going on a trip. Like I want to be responsible for the family and, you know, all that stuff. But ultimately I'm like, I really don't like it. Yeah. So it's funny. You, you want it, you want it, you want it, you get it. And then you're like, ugh. <laughs> you so drive, my, please. Right. So my point is, is like with, with parenting, you want to, if he does have to wait until he's 18, or 19, we know on the backside, that's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. While at the same time validating this loss and trying to find that balance with kids yep. is so hard, mm-hmm. you know, to teach them. But I think it's a great lesson to learn because it's going to be like that in life for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's been, it's been something me and Jennifer have agreed on as we call it uh, an open-ended punishment. For example, uh, my 13-year-old normal kid gets an attitude and I'm like, okay, hey, buddy. I need you to go to your room. I need you to calm down. 
I need you to come get me when you're done. So that may be five minutes. That can be 45 minutes. But I, I like those kind of setups because I feel like the kid is then deciding, you know what? I need to wrap this up. I mm. need to apologize. And I, I'm going to come get my dad because I'm tired of sitting in my room. Yeah. Or, you know what? Today's a day and I'm going to run the ringer. Let's just sit in there for three hours. Stewing. Go stew, man. But when you hear me and my wife laughing in the other room, you can't be mad at us because mm-hmm. we're going to go back to our day because you have a self-imposed punishment. Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm tr- I, Hopefully we can have that conversation when we start driving school of like, okay, okay, buddy, you decide how this goes. Because mm-hmm. if we need to find out what you're missing, because I'll be honest, I, when I went to my driving class, I think I missed as many as you could miss and still pass. <laughs> so I'm not bragging here with a perfect record. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but... At the end of the day, you've got to perform. You've got to answer the questions. You've got to show the book knowledge, and you've got to be able to drive to show proficiency that you're going to be able to make those judgment calls. And You'd think there'd be a lot of people out there who didn't take that test, though, man, with the drivers. Wow. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's increased, too, because of cell phones, man. There's everybody on their phone constantly. Constantly. Driving. Anyway, we can go on a whole other podcast about that. Well, you mentioned uh, your other son. So what's it been like? having one kid who you know is extra and one kid who is quote unquote normal it's been interesting because i think it changes him yeah because at times he's annoyed i bet that they're outside playing and everything's good and then he flips and now it's on and it's not fair and it's been hard for us jack yeah so cullen will be outside with jack and they're playing football and everything's good Mm -hmm. but then if jack feels like people are whispering or uh, having side conversations, he can go from zero to 10. Mm. And so then he, luckily they'll come get us and say, okay, come here. We need, we need we're, I think we're done. We need to take a break. So how did you build in that for Colin to know that that was the case? I, I think it's all he's ever known. Oh yeah. He's never had a normal brother. Right. So I think he has learned, okay. But y'all have had a hundred conversations too, right? A hundred conversations yeah. about, listen, you know, because I think that's where we it's saw. It's funny talking to you about it because I think there's a lot of things that y'all do that's so normal that aren't normal. Yeah. You know, that are just like, oh yeah, we talk. It's like, no, he just knew it. No, you, you built that in. That's true. Through conversation and through attachment and through connection. But I think at six and eight or eight and 10, really fast, we realized Cullen was surpassing Jack. Right. In knowledge and language. Because you could hear Cullen interpreting for was Jack. Was that hard? It was. But I, we had to let it happen. Sure. I, that's not the point, though. Yeah, Jack was 12, 13. He was a sixth grader. And so the uh, kid leans to him and says, hey, ask the substitute what the P word means. Mm-hmm. Well, not to brag on me and Jen, but of the curse words we do say, the P word's not one of them. So right. Jack didn't know what that word meant. And he says, no, I, you know, I, can't, I can't say that. You know? And the kid says, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> so you know, Jack raises his hand. <laughs> And of course, he says the word in front of the whole class. They all laugh. Uh, Yuri puts him in in-school suspension, which, by the way, should have happened. Yeah. And then Yuri calls us, and we're like, okay, thank you for letting us know. We'll talk to him. You know. So Cullen's in fourth grade at that time. He's like, hey, I heard Jack got in trouble. What happened? And Jen's like, you know, he said the P word, and Cullen's eyes get this big. And Jen's like, do you know what the P word? He goes, yeah, Mom, that's your spot. <laughs> like, all right. Uh, we'll chalk this up to things we didn't teach you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but context clues, once yeah. again, advanced language. People can catch on to a slang, catch on to a joke. Because joking is, is a whole other conversation we need to have. 
Jack and joking don't get along. How about this? On Jack's terms, joking is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Because he'll come in and be like, hey, dad, you know, I know you've been lazy and laid in your bed all day. And that's like, you know, and we'll laugh because it's a moment. Right. But if I joke, if I tease, if I make, you know. It's literal. Oh. Because he'll be like, we talked about this. No joking, you know. Mm -hmm. Or he'll hear me and Jen laughing and he'll think we're making fun of him. Yeah. And I'm like, buddy, listen, me and your mom laugh about a lot of things that have nothing to do with you. <laughs> and so it's just hard for him to be in the room yeah. or be around the room and not say, oh, y'all are, y'all are joking. You're teasing. You're, you're, you're making fun of me. And we're like, no, this has nothing to do with you. And I'm allowed to laugh in my house. That is not <laughs> against the rules. Yeah, it's going to happen a lot. And we're not going to stop. So if you need to leave. And sometimes we are laughing at you. We're just not going to tell you that. Absolutely. <laughs> Spoiler. But it's just, and, and so going back to Cullen, though, I think Cullen has had a different childhood of, you know, good. And we did have a funny story. We went to Silver Dollar City a few years ago, and they allowed us to have a handicap pass, which let us bypass the line. Mm -hmm. Because Jack cannot wait in a 45-minute line. Right. I, I don't, that would be a nightmare. So we literally walk in, you know, hand the ticket, and get on the ride. Mm -hmm. And the first time you look back and you get all these like death stares, like you got two normal kids, right? Yep. We get on the ride and Cullen <clears throat> leans over and he tells my, my wife, this is one of those times I'm glad anger. Jack has an anger problem. <laughs> <laughs> we rolled because of awesome. all the times we cried. Like actually paid for it once. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. this is the only time in life that a special needs child because we talked about going to Disney. We've talked about all these things, but oh, yeah. we haven't gone to Disney for the fact that what do we do if there's a meltdown? What if we do if he says, I don't want to be here? I'm done, yeah. And we paid thousands of dollars because we haven't gone to Six Flags. I mean, right. that's just... Now, me and Jen will go do stuff by ourselves because it's easy, but the four of us, it's very difficult to travel and because we've learned the beach, we've learned the lake, and those are kind of our two destinations that we do as a family every year. Yeah, what was that like, kind of learning vacations? and It's really tough. I mean, I think the first time we took Jack to the beach, he was great. The second or third time, I think it, you know, the, the sand, of course, there's that texture. Uh, and so he thrived in the indoor pool. And how old was he then? Probably four or five, yeah. Yeah, yeah so then it's just that tension of there walking is. back and forth. We're here, but we're on this indoor pool. Because she would stay at the beach with the youngest, yeah. and she was irritated I was taking the oldest in. And we get along. Jennifer's a good person. It's just we wanted to be a family. Yeah. What's well, it's the expectations that you have that are there's grief. Yeah. You know, there's these things you think you're going to be able to do that you've dreamed of doing, and you yep. realize like for the betterment of the kid, you just can't do it. Yeah. Because I think getting into the ten, twelve, fourteen years has been so relieving for us because it's like okay, now we can let them go to the beach by themselves. Mm -hmm. Now they can choose what they oh do. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's been liberating for us. Cause we don't have to be there. Yeah. I think what I, what I would say to people listening, if you're in this boat, you know, is you're going to have some grief and some compromises you have to make. Yeah. And to force, because you as a parent have this ideal or this, this thing that you, you think you want to do to force them into it or nonchalantly do it just to get the, you know, we're like that with sleep. I mean, you know, I'll see people out with their kids and no judgment, but like, it'll be nine o'clock. You know, they're leaving a movie and it's like, well, we want me and dad, I wanted to watch Spider-Man. So I took my seven-year-old to, and it's like, well, did your seven-year-old want to watch Spider-Man or did you want to watch yeah. it? 
And my brother-in-law's kind of helped us with that. He, they were uh, night people. And so from the time they had infants, because they waited, I want to say seven or eight years, nine years to have kids. Uh, but they did not put their toddlers to sleep before 11 p.m. And then they would wake them at 7, 8. So it just, it wasn't they were bad parents. It was just not traditional. Right. And it was just, I guess, refreshing for us to, to see someone say, you know what? I, I, I kind of like that. I'm not saying I want to do that. Yeah. But I respect a parent saying, listen, our norm is our norm. Let's do what works. Right. Let's take care of our kids and not be selfish. But do they have to be asleep by eight? Do they have to be asleep by nine? Definitely. And I think that's the point is you have to know your kids well enough to know if you're making it about you or if you're making it about what they need. That's good. Yeah. And I guess that's where we've tried not to ever drag them or force them. And I think we've caught flack for that because yeah. I think there's definitely a parenting style that says, you know, set the timer on the vegetables. And me and Jen are adamantly against that because I think it, you know, can hurt people when the timer's set and then now you hate the food. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, listen, you know, now, now we've had, once again, there's got to be consequences. So if I bought you a burger and you decide not to eat it, you know, you're probably going to pay for that burger, you know? Because <laughs> once again, I yeah, need a consequence. Yeah. Especially with teenagers. Yes. Because I, I don't, because, and that's where I want there to be communication. Because just the other day I was out getting KFC and I love Jack's forethought. He, he called and he said, hey, I've changed my mind. I'm going to get food with mom because we're chasing trains. And mm-hmm. I, it was very considerate, very thoughtful. Because that's one of his new things. He'll call me and say, hey, Dad, do you have a minute? I'm like, yes. Very advanced communication coming out of him. That's awesome. I love the consideration, his kindness. It's really improved. I think he's getting how to respect a man, how you get things with men, mm-hmm. and hopefully how to get things with women and how you talk to them. Because uh, Jack, my goodness, has mowed the yard as many times as I have. Because he loves the money that he can make, right? Yeah, yeah. And I love paying him. I will pay him Absolutely. the rest of his life. Yeah, Grady was doing that this weekend. He wanted, he was like, can we start? Because we had a chore chart, and he was earning a dollar a day. And I was like, I'm not buying you any more toys. If you want Legos, you know. And uh, and this weekend, he was like, I, I want to start the chore chart back. Like, I want, you know, he just we just got off from it from the holidays and everything else. Yeah, that desire to earn. And it's like, yes, I will. Let's go. And it's a little thing. I mean, for him, he's seven. So it's like, just put your clean your, you know, put your bed together, brush your teeth, put your clothes up, put them in the hamper. You know, they have these little things they move, but it's cool to watch them grow and want to do it. But yeah, I mean, ultimately to just wrap up what we're saying, it's for a parent, don't feel bad if you do something different, just, you know, talk to your, the professionals in your life and your friends and make sure that you have good support and you know that what you're doing differently is what's best for your kid. Good. You know, and not about you as a parent just wanting to do the ideal or the dream or what your family did, because sometimes you got to give that stuff up mm-hmm. and you got to figure out whether that's I'm giving this up and I'm doing this because I have to or because it's easier or because I'm, you know, being selfish. And it's a little bit of all that usually. And I guess what, I, what we've tried to work on as well is not focusing on what we're missing, but focus on what there could be a bonus. There could be something we have. Oh, Definitely. Because uh, we were outside, I think this is New Year's Eve, and we were talking about neighbors and who has what. Well, there's a dog across the street that understands German commands. And Jack, straight face, looked at this woman and said, you're telling me that dog speaks German? <laughs> and we, you know, so there's that moment, like you can't. And so luckily the neighbor was very kind and was like, oh, no, no, no. The dog doesn't speak a language. Right. <laughs> 
but you know, it's just like as a as a you, you try not to laugh because it's like yeah, because so you don't want to make him feel stupid. But man, it, but but it shows I think where he is cognitively that he could but he someone could have pranked him and convinced him of that, and he would have gone around and told people. Right, the dog next door speaks German. Absolutely, yeah, because his understanding was, oh, if it can underst- if it can hear it, it must be able to speak it. Yeah, and I mean that's a, you know, that's an extended time of that uh, that little kid logic, you that's know, because little kids are super logical. They they think yeah. everything you're saying. Because I think verbally, he's probably eleven or twelve right now, but it, it, it's been real good. It's it's been a great transition, and I think that's what we've enjoyed about the um, going back to our Arkansas children's home is we are watching some things being added, some, some skills that he's gaining. Yeah. For example, if he were able to drive, I mean, my goodness, to be a tow truck driver or even to work on the train stations. We've already started conversations with some friends that work for KCS just to get him on the property. Yeah. Or, cause that, and that's what I told my wife. I don't know if I care about him making income. Do I want him too long term? But my goodness, let the boy volunteer. He is a worker. Mm-hmm. He would love to clean those trains out with yeah. a passion. Yeah. He would be the best cleaner they have because he, I think his passion, right? Combined with his hustle, I, there's got to be something he can do. Now I had to be careful cause I don't want to insult the, the train community and say, you know, oh, my son could probably do that. But I would love to get him in that family cause it sounds like a wonderful family of good people. They're just hard workers. Yeah. And he can try, he can climb to whatever ladder he wants to climb to. Well, and that'll be a, I mean, again, like we're talking about the silver lining, you know, that's the, uh, that's the gift of having that perspective is when it is quote unquote simple or direct, you know, there's some things about that. That's amazing. Yeah. That you're not, you're not all up in here and all the thoughts and the craziness and the ridiculousness. You just, you see what you want, you go get it. And you know, that's a huge thing. So, I mean, that'll be something that's a huge skill for him to be able to contribute and work hard and, not get caught up in all the crazy. Yeah. And maybe his dad will change when he starts paying for these burgers. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the silver lining for us. You know, it's as hard as it is for our boys to eat what they eat and, and to be super limited. I also look up and I'm like, well, I don't give my kids crap food. Right. Every day. Right. You know, they're, they're having to eat, you know, beef and steak and chicken. And I can't put a bunch of mayo and, you know, like I can't do all these things to, to add the calories. But then I look at them like, well, that's all junk. Yeah. You know, they can, they do eat chips and they, you know, some things, but overall, I mean, they've had really healthy diets, so they're extremely healthy. That's funny. You know, so it's like, and we, and it's helped us, you know, we, we don't, because we have to, you know, cook three different things every day. It's like. You know, it's something for Jude that's special, something for Grady special, and then something for JC and I. But it's made us go, well, do we really need bread in this? Do we need, really need dairy in this? Do we really, you know. It's good. And so that's been a, a benefit is like we're just eat healthier. Mm-hmm. And it's a normal, it's not even like a thought process. It's not stressful to go, do we, we don't quote unquote diet. It's just yeah, we can't have it. And so for our kids, they don't, they're not food oriented to where, you know, a lot of times you can't eat, you know, parents will be like, well, you'll get a cupcake if you do this, or you get a new icy if you do this, well, let's just stop by this and you eat this and put this in your mouth and we'll be fine for the trip. Like we don't get to do that. Right. So, and, and then I go, well, I don't want to do that anyway, but it's not cause I'm a good parent. I would be probably doing, I was like, there's a lot of times I'm like, God, I wish we could stop by McDonald's and, and grab something real quick. Yeah. For a dollar. <laughs> well, the rate's going up now. I don't think there's even a dollar menu. Inflation. Yeah, that's right. Um, any comment to kind of faith and how it affected your faith? You know, I, I don't. I don't know if we had a faith issue because I think that 
I, I guess in my humble perspective is I think every parent has a complaint. Yeah. Whether their kid's ADHD, whether their kid's aggressive, whether their kids are oppositional defiant. I, I do believe I have good kids. I, and I have, we have to remind ourselves of that. Because, I mean, Jack's almost the age I was when I went to drug rehab. So I've got to remind myself mm. that, like, we've, we've successfully raised boys that have not had trauma, have not had any abuse, and they're good kids. They're happy 90% of the time. Yep. And we have moodiness. We have hormones. Sure. But God has been so good to us and given us much more than we deserve. So I, I think, yes, early days, there's a why me. I think that every special needs parent goes through. Yeah. That I... I would, you know, and, and I, I guess I try to remind my clients of that because I often tell them, hey, I'll, I'll take your terrible husband. Why don't you take my kids? You know, let's <laughs> let's I'll take your normal kids and you can take my special needs kids. Yeah. But it's just interesting that people assume that other people aren't suffering. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the grass is always greener. You know, we were talking about Kelsey and I were talking about that before in the hall. I said, you know, somebody asked me if my kids get along and I'm like, yeah, like my boys get along. I mean, gangbusters, like they, they don't really fight hardly ever. I mean, they want each other around each other. I mean, there's typical stuff like everybody, mm -hmm. but like on a spectrum, I don't know two kids who yep. get along better than my kids. And I'm not, I haven't really done anything to contribute to that in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, I mean, I've, I've tried to get them to get along, but it's just is happening. And so I go, same thing. I'm like, well, we have all this food stuff, but man, I wouldn't trade having to figure this food stuff out for their relationship. And I can imagine being God and being like, well, dummy, I'm going to give you, I was going to give you that. Like, it's not all terrible, right? but in the moments, man, when things are stressful and things are overwhelming, all you can see is the difficulty of the special and not the gift that God's going to give you out of it. It's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's good. And so I think it's, it's what I was saying in the very beginning. It's, it's the two truths at one time that you have to hold and go, okay, if you're a special needs parent, like, yes it's hard. It's difficult. It's exhausting. Your marriage can be in the toilet. All those things can be true. And also the hope that we have in a good God is that there's going to be meaning made out of it. There's going to be unique gifts that you've been given that you might not be able to see in the, in the moment of strife, but as you grow and as they develop, you're going to get gifts that other parents don't get. Yeah. You know, he is that good. He's going to make up for it. He is. Cause Jack may spend, you know, spend the rest of his life with us. Or I, I don't know if I'd be surprised if he got a good job and rented an apartment or just lived a, a, a simple life in a simple little house. And goodness, I hope he falls in love. I hope, I hope, I, I want the best for him. But I think we just, and that's probably special needs parents. We're just trying to keep those expectations to, yeah. I don't want to want things he doesn't want. I don't want to want things he's not capable of. Uh, <clears throat> but I'll be honest, that probably puts a little fire under my uh, backside to work a little harder save a little harder to prepare for three and not just for two in retirement. Mm -hmm. But, and I guess I'm just always looking for that balance and the accountability of my wife of, are we giving more than we can afford? Am I, am I for sale too much? You know? Yeah. And I, I just, I love, I think the benefits of having a good woman who's honest and kind that can look me in the face and say, yeah, we're winning. This is good. Mm hmm. Or, you know what, we're a little out of bounds here. Let's fix this. Let's, because it's definitely being accountable to her of what, who am I seeing? Or basically the gist of how difficult is my caseload? Or what am I taking on? Or what are our dreams? And can we afford them? And yeah. what's that going to cost? And 
Well, yeah, and again, you fall, you fall in that unique minority. Um, since most people that are listening, if they're in that situation, if the divorce rate's 95%, they don't have that other spouse. Yeah. And I think that, man, I cannot imagine. I mean, I see other people with FPIs and other, um, you know, we're on the same thing, the Facebook things or the, you know, Reddit columns to try to figure out stuff still even today. And just the spouses that are on there, the moms especially who are on there saying, you know, I'm breastfeeding, I'm eating eight ingredients. My husband's pieced out. Like, I'm like, I don't, I mean... I could barely function for some years as a, as a dad. And I wasn't even making the huge sacrifice that my wife was. Right. I can see why their anxiety, their depression, their PTSD, their mental health is just in the toilet. And then all the stuff we've been talking about is happening, you know, and then they come in our offices and we try to help them. And it's like, that's the part where I want, you know, healthier families, healthy, healthier communities to be able to look at these families and have, you know, churches and be able to have extra supports, mm. you know, bit of a thing we worked, I can't even tell you how many years, what well, one point we didn't even go to church because they, there wasn't a safe place for them to go. Every Sunday we'd go to church, we'd walk in and there'd be puffs on the floor or there would be avocado yep. left over, or right. there'd be crackers or, you know, and, and the, the nursery workers, they, they meant well, but they weren't as obsessive and hypervigilant as we were. So they would say, yeah, we were going to pick up everything after the next class. We're going to clean up. And we, I just wouldn't trust them. Mm-hmm. So I'd bring Grady in and put him down. And sure enough, I'd walk over. I literally, I remember doing this, walking across the room and being like, there's three goldfish right here on the carpet. Like if I would not have come over here and he would have eaten that, we'd be in the hospital and he right. might be dead. And so then we had conversation after conversation and advocacy. And, and finally, they made a room where it was like apples and water. And that's what they're giving the kids on Sunday. And that's what it is. And so we had to call all the parents and ask them if that was okay. Right. There wasn't anybody to do it. You had, I had to call the other parents of the kids, 12 parents and literally 80% of them are like, why are they feeding them anything else? <laughs> you know, like they're like, why are they feeding them? No wonder they don't eat lunch when we leave church. Like, what do you mean they're giving them vanilla wafers and, and like they didn't even know that people were giving them snacks because no one cares because it doesn't have a consequence. Yeah. It's those kind of things that I think, doing that alone, doing that single, doing that in these groups and having to advocate, it just is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so the more conversations we can have about this stuff and the more people can feel supported that it's okay to step up. It's okay to advocate. It's okay to ask hard questions, to push the teachers, to, to do these things while at the same time, the balance of not enabling our kids to, to feel this weight of being unique and special needs. And it's just an ongoing process. Yeah, and I think that's what fires me up with watching, you know, reward the hustle. Like, I, I want to honor my kid when he's like, yes, I want to mow the yard. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I'm like, yes, let's go mow the yard. And for a while there, he was pushing me. He's like, hey, can we mow the yard, you know, sooner than later? And I was like, uh. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to mow it every day. <laughs> but it was awesome. Money. We in, in that Missouri trip, uh, we were buying ice cream for everybody. And Jack said, well, I want two. And I was like, well. You have money. Do you want to spend some of your money and buy a second one? And he was like, yeah. And mother son was like, uh, that's not fair. <laughs> and I was like, it is. You want mother gar- <laughs> yard? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's, and I guess that's the raising I had. My mom and dad, when I was, gosh, 10, 11, I started a lawn business. And I, I, I got up to six yards. I was making 120 bucks a week. At 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I had hundreds, you know, 
just in 20s stacked up. And it was just intoxicating because I was like, this is power, you know? That's right. I put a $20 bill in the token machine. I know that half the world doesn't know what that token machine is, but the arcade, man, it was. Yeah. Now they just have the little debit card things. <laughs> And I want yeah. you to think about That's how much money exactly you're spending right. on your kid. That's exactly or right. You got a great Wolf Lodge. It's like, it's just $40. That's right. And then you get over there and you're like, I only get to play seven games for $40. Mm-hmm. It's a change in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I remember that. I remember uh, well, I was the same way. We would go to the neighbor's house. I remember this one lady, I can't remember her name, but she had this fence and it had like all the vines on it. And it was like, I'll pay you $2 an hour to cut these vines off of this fence. And at the time I was, I mean, eight, nine, you know, it was like two bucks. I could work, you know, I'd have 20 bucks, you know, it's like, you thought you had a million dollars. Awesome. It didn't get much better, you know, graduating college or high school and thinking I'm going to graduate, be a rad tech. I'm going to be making $35,000 a year. And I'll be set for life. I love it. You know, it's just that, um, uh, immature, uh, mind state of what, what things actually pay for. $35,000 though, man, that's so much money. Bro, I thought I was going to be killing it. Yes, make it rain. I know. And now now you're like, man, (laughs) with inflation and everything else, that doesn't touch anything. Yeah, you're like 100K? Oh, man. Y'all skipping meals? You know, like Mm. (laughs) one car family? Yeah, it's crazy how America's changed. It is. Crazy. Back in the day, you can make, you know, a little bit and it goes a long way today. It's hard. Um, Okay, so just to kind of wrap up, what what would be... Um, if somebody's kind of starting this journey of raising a child and they, they think there's some special needs or there is, what kind of advice or encouragement would you give? Build your community. Gosh, find people, find resources, reach out. I think anyone that suffers alone is making whatever they have worse. Yeah. And I think that's where the community, the village has been so good to us to help us, even when we didn't have answers, just to talk through, hey, this is what we're thinking. This is what we thought about. And it, it, I think that's, I think people need community more than, I think normal people need community. Yeah. But I think in special situations, I have never had anyone uh, compare or, you know, oh, your son's more disabled than mine. Oh, my son's more disabled than yours. No, we have so much more in common than we have in different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today is the stuff that clients talk about that people come in and that they, they really struggle with outside of community. And, and I get it. You get isolated. You have the parent. Maybe you don't have a wife or a spouse or husband. Maybe you don't have a parent who's supportive. Um, yeah, I would, I would say the same thing as we're also saying is just you, you. But there are those people. They don't have to be your immediate family. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be your immediate friends. Yeah. Change churches. You know, if, if our church wouldn't have, have changed with us against the, the fight, I would have had to go on somewhere else. Yeah. And I would also say trust your intuition. I, I think God is very loud if you'll listen to him of what's right and what works and what is good for the two of you Mm -hmm. the three of you because i think that's part of two loving believers who want to love a little kid when should we put in time out when should we implement any kind of discipline and what is that discipline yep because that that's where you know jack was very difficult to discipline because he didn't understand yeah yeah and i think that's just the the important part of everybody realizing as parents, uh, you know, working on their own shame and their own family history and all that stuff. I mean, I, I could talk about that forever, but you know, that your kid is unique. God has given them y- your kid to you and they're a unique separate person. And our task, I think as parents, whether it's special needs, autism, Asperger's, anger, compulsivity, physical disability is to figure out together as a family and parents and community, what does this kid need? Like, how do I, 
how do I help raise them to be an image bearer of God in a way that shows their unique skills and their unique gifts that God is going to use instead of feeling like, and I get it, there's grief there, but instead of feeling like, oh, there is a, a way it should be, and I'm going to try to force that or just constantly be sad that it's not that. Yeah. You know, we've got to be able to go, no, who is this kid? You know, good. and, and I get it. Parents are judgmental. I mean, we look at other people like, oh, they, they stay up too late or they eat this crap or they do this or that. So one, as a parent, be quiet, assume that the person's doing the best they can. And you're getting a snapshot in a moment at target or in a moment in the thing of what they do. And then unless they're your kids and unless they're in your environment, like it's really not any of your business. And the only thing you can do is say, Hey, how can, how can I help? Yes. How can I be supportive? How can I pray for you guys that, you know, things go better and not, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Cause you never know what you're going to do unless you have that kid specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so easy to sit back and say, you know, Oh, my amazing parenting would fix that kid. <laughs> yeah. It's just so arrogant. Oh man. Where I, I wish people were more humble and would just say, gosh, how can we help you? How can we support you? Hey, this thing happened. Your, your son bit my kid, whatever went down. And then let's just go from there. Let's, yeah. let's fix it. Yeah. We were at jujitsu class, uh, yesterday. I let you, the four year old go to his first class. And so Amber's the blue belt who does the teaching. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll stand and help teach or whatever. There's like 15 kids. Well, probably three out of the 15 could not sit on their ex. I mean, they're three to four, five year olds. I was surprised as many of them was sitting on the ex that they were, but some of the parents were kind of yelling from the sidelines, sit down, you know, you know, they were, they were I could feel their tension of feeling disappointed or feeling frustrated mm. that their kid kid couldn't sit there and the other kids were, and that's what breaks my heart for people. Mm. And so I just went over to the parents and said, Hey, listen, they're all different. We don't have an expectation that they all sit on the X for 30 minutes. Like, they most of them can't and if they are they might be scared and so they're not moving you don't know what's going on with them. right so we'll get on to them or we'll redirect them if we think they're doing something outside of expectations but you don't need to feel like you have to parent for the next 30 minutes that's good you know and i wish that people would tell parents that more and give them that support because that's all it's always the tension of i'm used to being responsible for them i know them i know when they're getting out of hand and what they're capable of but also, I don't want you to think I'm a bad, bad parent or my kid's a bad kid mm-hmm. and look at them and go, well, they should be doing this. And I would hope that we can all learn to, when we see a kid's behavior to go, this is a snapshot and I'm not sure what this is, but how can I support that parent? Yeah. How can I ask what they need? And it's good. Oh, dude, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, man. I, I think this is a great topic. I, you know, it's just, it's hard to find resources, hard to even find relatable people mm-hmm. of who, who deals with what. Yeah. And there's so much, I mean, we could take each need and diagnose it and break it down and talk about, you know, all the consequences for all of it. But uh, I mean, you really did a good job of painting the overall picture, which is what I wanted to do for people. Cause like I said, in the beginning, I, the biggest thing I don't want to do is, is, is uh pigeonhole us into going, this is what special needs parenting is. And this is the, this is how bad it is. And this is how awful it is. Like, no, it's a, it's a wide range of things and there's some commonality. Um, but ultimately you know, we all have to figure out what it is that our kid is and who he is or she is and work through it. Yeah. Um, if your kids are listening to this or Jen's listening to this, what would you, what would you like to say or wrap up? Let's say it's 20 years from now and they're listening back on their dad talking about how it was to raise them. 
Be nice to us. We were doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> and right. we'll talk in 20 years when you have kids. Oh, yeah. And, and they talk about how what you did wrong. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's been a common conversation with my parents, is I'm not mad at y'all. I'm not resentful of y'all. I know you did the best you could. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know mistakes you made, and I hopefully fix those with mine. Yep. And hopefully my kid will fix my mistakes with theirs. Yep. But I, I think that it's just interesting people want grace and they have a tough time giving it. Definitely. Yeah. Or, and sometimes as parents receiving it, I know that's for my parents, like I've said the same thing, like, listen, there was a season where I was super wounded and hurt and had to figure all that out, out for myself. And now that I'm a parent, I call my dad or my mom all the time. And I'm like, thank you. I know this part must've been really hard. Mm -hmm. That doesn't wipe away from the stuff they could have done better or maybe they couldn't, but that could have been, I could have gotten received better. But the reality is, is that, they did the best that they could with what they had and I've got to move on. And yeah. now that I'm a parent, I'm like, Ooh, I have way more resources, way more support than they did. And I still screw things up. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine holding arrogance and ego against them, yeah. but they have a hard time receiving it. Yeah. You know, and I can imagine when I'm 60, I'm going to look back and go, Oh God, it wounds me that I didn't have it all together enough, but that's where grace comes in and we have to just let it go. It's awesome cool man all right well thank y'all for listening um as usual please like and subscribe to the podcast on youtube and uh leave a comment or give us a rating on itunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and we'll see you next week god bless you